Fio Mai, you've tuned to Pacific Ways from RNZ Pacific. Coming up. It began with the attack against West Papua National Liberation Army. Indonesian security forces strikes at militant group. Was Kiwi pilot Merton's present? Also, the government really wants uh, a few minds open in, in this time when, and when the economy is struggling. A gold mine in PNG remains closed despite a done deal with the devil to reopen. What's the hold-up? And later on... They can't read and write in Kiribati. They are illiterate. Kiribati launches a new program to help its disengaged youth. Indonesian security forces in West Papua have launched an offensive against the militant group holding New Zealand pilot Philip Mertens hostage, triggering a retaliatory attack from the West Papua Liberation Army with casualties on both sides. It's not clear at this stage if Mertens himself was present in the jungle hideout, which was targeted. A joint statement from the political and militant wing of the West Papua Freedom Movement about the attack has been corroborated by Human Rights Watch Indonesia. Jakarta-based human rights researcher Andreas Hasono spoke with Koroi Hawkins about the incident, which he said has set off a chain reaction of increased military activity in the central and highlands Papua region. I verified that statement by checking what the Indonesian police and also Indonesian Papua have reported. It is confirmed that it began with the attack against uh, West Papua National Liberation Army so-called headquarters, I guess this is a jungle hideout, on Thursday, March 23rd, 1 a.m. after midnight. The local report said after midnight. That particular group is led by Egyanus Kogoya. Egyanus Kogoya is one local commander in West Papua who also headed the, the kidnapping of the New Zealand pilot, uh, Philip Mertens. So during the attack after midnight, the Indonesian security team fatally shot two Papuan militants. The names are also confirmed, Wisu Guijangge and also Ebaroa Guijangge. It is not clear, though, whether Egyanus Kogoya was on the spot uh, or also the pilot, whether he was on that particular jungle hideout. But the attack and also the killing made the TPNPB to retaliate. They attacked an Indonesian groups that were guarding uh, uh, what is it, a prayer in Ilu district, Punca Jaya Regency, next to Duga Regency. Uh, it happened at around 8pm uh, near Ilu Market. So it is quite uh, open space. The shooting uh, made two Indonesian soldiers die, fatally shot, and another one fatally wounded. He was shot in the stomach. But the attack was done by another band of the Papuan militant, not those directly with Ekianus Kokoya. And of course, there were also another attack by the Indonesian security on March 22nd, just one day before the attack, in which a young man, uh, a civilian, was was unfortunately was also killed and several houses were burned down in the area near the where the incident took place. Koroi.
Thank you, Andreas. Some really terrible, terrible situation un unfolding there. Um, the Indonesian military or security forces or Jakarta, has there been any statement so far? They issue a statement saying that condolences, sending condolences toward the families of the two soldiers who were killed in uh, Induga from Jakarta. A staff to President Jokowi is also trying to help release the the pilot using customary tribal mechanism. The name of this presidential staff is Lenis Kokoya. He also come from Duga area. You might remember that the name of the kidnapping group, the leader is Egyanus Kokoya. So they come from the same Kokoya clan. They might be related, but I'm not so sure because, you know, Kokoya is a big family name in the area. It is interesting to see that this Kokoya presidential advisor is trying to negotiate for the release of the pilot with another Kokoya family member, clan member in Duga. I hope it, it will work because in Papua, most of the time, tribal mechanism does work. How it's it's quite a always difficult to get information and confirm these things. How likely is it that we will get confirmation if Mertens is safe or if if he was indeed anywhere near the attack that occurred on Thursday? There is a statement from the Indonesian police chief in Duga uh, that the pilot is Merton is healthy. He is quote unquote alive. Although he refused to reveal how he got his sources. Uh, the police chief also said Merton is, the pilot is healthy, but he again reiterated the call for the Papua militant to release him because he has asthmatic. Uh, meanwhile, the area is pretty high, more than 3,000 uh, above sea level. It is pretty, pretty high. Oxygen level is not that not as good as in lower areas. Understanding about this forested area and also how people operate there, whether you are Indonesian or whether you are indigenous Papuan, uh, people basically could learn each other from stories, from sometimes rumors, uh, using WhatsApp. So I guess the police chief also got his information from the grounds. Have uh, the I understand several um, uh, New Zealand diplomats uh, have been deployed to Papua. I th think the uh, New Zealand um, diplomatic service in Jakarta is, is also watching the situation closely. Have we seen any official statements from from them so far? The New Zealand government has at least three people uh, stationed in Timika, not in Wamena which is the closest to the Duka area, but Timika, where Freeport Mining uh, has its headquarters operation. But also Timika is the most important military command center overseeing basically all six provinces in Papua and also the Molucas Island. The highest ranking military officer is also stationed in Timika. So I guess the New Zealand government agree to put the staff on the grounds in Timika to monitor the situation and also to liaise with the Indonesian security police and military in how to not only 
trying to release the pilot, but also sending medication via informal mechanism into the jungle. Andreas, thank you so much for your insights into um a very complicated and difficult region. Uh, thank you. Oh, thank you. There's a hold-up in the reopening of the huge Pogira gold mine in Inga province in Papua New Guinea, which has been shut down for nearly three years. In 2020, the PNG government refused a lease renewal for the huge Canadian-operated multinational barrack until a more beneficial deal was negotiated. A new agreement was eventually reached with the PNG government and landowners, holding 51% to Barrack New Guinea's 49%. Thus, Pogera should have returned to operation right about now. Don Wiseman asked RNZ Pacific's PNG correspondent, Scott Whitey, what's causing the hold-up. There's a delay over the tax structure that the IRC wants to use. And the government says, the NEC says that it, it can't interfere with that part of the process because, quote, it's the IRC is an independent constitutional body and uh, it has to be left to do its work. That, that's, that's the official line. Uh, and that's also a line that the governor for Enga, Peter Ipatas, has, uh, has expressed. He says there's a, the delay is due to tax issues. Nobody's really come out and said what, what the tax issue is. But I think the IRC wants to impose a higher taxation on Pogra. So that, that's, uh, I guess, the issue of contention that's, that exists with Pogra. Is it possible that uh, Barrick, given they've been pushed to become a minority investor, that they're getting cold feet and they want out? They've said that if things are not sorted by the 31st of March, they're gone. It's a possibility that I guess the PNG government don't, doesn't want to see. And they're quickly, the government's quickly running out of time. So it, it's something that has to be resolved quickly. But how far that progress has come about is something that we have to wait and see. But overall, the government wants to see Pogra open. And I think usually as in cases like this at the 11th hour, there may be you know drastic decisions being made at, at the 11th hour. There have been recent suggestions that we've received here in Wellington that landowners want to take it over completely and shut foreign investors out. Is there any possibility at all that that could happen? Yes, that that was the narrative from the Prime Minister at the beginning when the term of Barrick came to an end and they were negotiating all of that. Now, there are two groups of landowners. One want a total takeover. The other says, you know, we'd, we'd better be dealing with the devil we know instead of having a total government and, uh, and, and a landowner takeover. And we, we don't know whether we actually have the capacity to operate a mine. So that, that those two schools of thought have been at loggerhead since the lease ended for Barrick. Well, Barrick, of course, is one of the biggest mining operations in the world, isn't it? It seems odd in a lot of ways that they're prepared to sit back in second place behind the government. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people know that it won't hurt Barrick as much as it'll hurt Papua New Guinea because the government really wants uh, a few mines open in, in this time when and when the economy is struggling. So I'm thinking, as I said earlier, you know, when it comes to crunch time, there'll be drastic decisions being made. And how those drastic decisions will turn out, we, we don't really know. Are you confident that come the 31st of March, everything's going to be sorted? I'm, I'm I'm really not too sure. <laughs> Usually it does, you know, it has a way of working itself out. But 
you know, the form in which it will take is is something that we, we can't really predict. I, I was speaking to people within government and that was the, the main issue of contention was taxes. But uh, apart from taxes, we're not really sure what, what the background narrative is, whether it's just taxes or something else. Work is underway to support disengaged youth in Kiribati and two careers. Child Fund Kiribati Director David Kakiakia knows firsthand the challenges e-Kiribati youth face. He spoke with Lydia Lewis about the program that he hopes is transformative. Tell me about the current initiatives that you support. Since we started back in 2017, we established back in 2016 one of the pillars with the existence of the organization in the country is to help youth development. How much of the population of Kiribati are youth? Um, according to the, um, the last survey, approximately half of the population are youth. So an important job then it, it to is, support it them. Is, it is an important job. And this is a, a, an area that government and a lot of sectors need to invest a lot of more their attention to, I think. Do youth fall through the cracks? Can you tell me how they do and how you support them into vocational opportunities? For Child Fund, we had a partnership with the only institute in Kiribati, um, called the Kiribati Institute of Technology. We created pathways for those who left the school earlier, not completing their formal education. So uh, we called them disengaged youth. So we provided the opportunity for them to code and learn at KIT. For the, um, with the um, preaching program, they learn about numeracy, numeracy, basic numeracy, um, literacy, um, basic computing, basic constructions, and the course is really um, a preparation for them to be able to um, enter the mainstream courses down at KIT. Remember that there are other young people that may not be able to eligible for preaching program because they can't read and write in Kiribati. They are illiterate. So we design a program and we offer that in our office, call it a building block program. So this is really designed to help those who can't read and write in Kiribati. Once they master and know how to read and write in Kiribati, we will then send them to um, KIT to join a preaching program. We also offered a life skills program, um, and a life skills program, in a way, uh, is also contributing to preserving our traditional skills because there are some youth wanting to learn about um, how to make a fishing net, in general, learning, learning traditional skills. So we offer that as well in our youth learning temporary youth learning centre. And that's really important, those real-life skills that people learn. Mm. What success stories can you tell us about the programme and what you've taught the children? To look, to know about it, but we're working toward it. 
so far, like the life skills program is in early stage to measure the impact of it. But how long has it been uh, um, running for? Uh, running for like a one year now. But I think with the preaching program, um, if we're talking about it, um, we we have. I think we have caught eight hundred youth enrolled for that program. Five hundred, sorry, five hundred. Um, around that number, five to six hundred um, youth so far enrolled for that program. So a big need. A big need, and the um the five hundred to six hundred. The number of the total number of students that have enrolled since 2017 up to now. And why are life skills so important? Because traditional education is emphasised to young people: get a degree, mm. become a doctor. But why are life skills like this so important, particularly in Kiribati? And uh, you may not believe this, but it's funny because. When we contacted, when we contacted a um, youth consultations, they were the ones telling us that like we wanted to learn these skills because we want to um, generate our income by learning all those skills. Maybe they feel that they don't want to come back to relearn and get into a formal education again, but wanting to get something that they feel proud of or they have. Been dreaming of uh, that once they got that skills, it will help them to generate the income. I think so. There's like it's it funny how like our young people like tell us, told us in the first place, like we wanted to learn this skill. Would Chowfan be able to offer this for us, please? And looking back at your time as a youth and a young person, do you draw on those experiences now in your role? Yes, when I first started working with Child Fund, I work as the uh, youth coordinator, and I think my work as a youth coordinator led back to my past experiences. What is your message to young people and Kiribati listening to this now? The old message that I wanted the young, our young people in Kiribati, I want them to uh, listen to, just come join our program and see what's God's plan for you. That we caught in Kiribati, the child fund team, they are pretty good with young people. So yeah, we are there to support them. We are not there to charge them. If they have in their minds like other initiative or other support that they may need child fund to support mm. them on, we're there to support them. That's Pacific Waves for today. To listen back, head over to rnzi.com slash programs or download for free to your device from Spotify, iHeart or Apple Podcast. From myself and the team that made this episode an awesome one yet, so far so far.